0: by Thursday night but I can promise you this it will make an impact on you probably as much as it does on the children just getting to see smiles on faces and getting to teach t- teach kids about Jesus and here's the cool part we can have fun and learn about Jesus at the same time Jesus we've talked about this in the series we're in he was full of excitement he was full of passion he was full of energy and humor and so much more so again VBS starts this Monday Um Come on out, kids. Come on out, volunteers. We're super excited. A couple other announcements before we dive into our message this morning. Um, I'm super excited about something that, that the praise team has been planning and, and is pushing forward on is our night of worship that's coming up. It's going to be on August 20th. You're going to want to go ahead and put that down on the calendar. It is going to be a night full of fun and worship and growing close, closer to Christ and t- together. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be awesome. We're also tagging with this a fundraising opportunity. One of the ministries in our community that we want to support is the crisis ministry. They've helped so many people, so we're going to be kind of dedicating that night to to supporting them as well. So you're welcome to to donate on that night. We're also going to be giving or selling t-shirts, and basically it covers the cost, and then everything over that is going straight to the crisis ministry. So it's just another opportunity to give back into the community. ...but you're not going to want to miss it. So put it on the calendar, August 20th. It starts at 6.30, runs to around 8 o'clock, and it's going to be an amazing night. So put, put that down, check it out. Um, small changes to Real, our women's Bible study that goes on every second and fourth Monday of, of every month. And that is that this, this Monday, so, so tomorrow, they're going to be meeting at Tanya's house. Instead of up here, we got a lot of VBS prep going on and whatnot. So if you're used to being a part of that ministry... I think y'all talked about that. Just, just remember you're meeting at, at her house, 404 Balsam Drive. If you have questions about where that's at, you can come and talk to me because that's my mom, so I know where she lives, so I can get you there most likely. Maybe. Maybe, just maybe. But um, I know it's an awesome ministry for ladies, and, and uh, I've talked to the ladies that have been a part of it, and it's, it's a huge way to grow closer to together and closer to Christ. So if you have questions, you can come and ask me. Uh, you can talk to her, but it is this Monday. At, at her house instead of up here. Um, let's see, what other announcements do I have that I'm supposed to get off the top of my head? Uh, I think that's, that's pretty much the main announcements that, that we have. Uh, but as always, we take this time to <coughs> go ahead and collect offering. We used to pass around bags. We don't do that anymore with, with the pandemic. We've kind of shifted the way we do that. So if you'd like to give to support the ministry of everything we do, then you can simply do that by dropping in your, your tithes in the, in the boxes outside of these two doors on the kiosk. You can give online. There's an easy way to do that. Go to thejourney.church, and you'll see the Give tab. You can give from, from there. You can give from our app and, and a whole assortment of other ways. But thank you so much for what you give. It allows for us to do cool things like VBS and to go out into the community and the ways that we do to feed and to support and, and then to do the ministries we do here in this building as well. So thank you all so much for what you give. And uh, it's just an exciting time, 2021 pushing on into the next year. We've got a lot in store and we're, we're super excited. So I'm glad that, that y'all have chosen to make this your, your home. So this morning we've got quite a bit to talk about and we've been in our series called The Face of Jesus. And I think right off the bat when we talked about the face of Jesus, people are like, okay, are we going to be talking about what Jesus looks like? No, we have no idea what he looks like. We've talked about the, the kind of the humor behind how we portray Jesus in the images that we've created. But Today, we're going to finish up this series talking about the characteristics of Jesus. We really wanted to paint a picture of who Jesus is, his personality, and I've truly loved working on this, this series with Mark. It's really impacted me, make me, uh, push me to, to, to remember who Jesus is and all the ways that he interacts with my life and our lives. So we want that full picture of who he is. And I think so often we leave out a lot of the characteristics of Jesus, and that is to our own detriment. Like, if you're going to fully know Jesus, then you need to know all the parts of his personality. Otherwise, you're going to miss out. You're not going to see him interacting in your life on the daily basis if you don't understand who he is in the full context of how he walked this earth and how he's interacting with our life today. So we've discussed a lot through this one, so I will, I will go through these fairly quickly. Uh, We talked about the humanity of Jesus, the fact that Jesus was fully man and yet fully God at the same time. And though that's hard to wrap our minds around, it's important to understand. It's it's important to understand that Jesus was like you. He was a human. He dealt with temptations and struggles and pains just like you do. I mean, that's, that's a relatable God, one who chose to become human to give his life for us and to understand that he understands where you're at. Except for he didn't fall into sin. He, he held steadfast and true so that he could be the sacrifice for us. Then we moved on to the scandalous freedom that we find in Christ. That no matter who you are or what you've done, that you can be forgiven. Like, no matter what, the worst of the worst, the most outcast of the outcast, can find forgiveness in Jesus. Freedom in Jesus. Then we moved on to the playfulness of Christ. The fact that he was playful in the things that he did. He even played jokes on his disciples, which I find brilliant and fun because I like to play jokes on my friends, right? And, and, and I love the fact that Jesus did the same. We see his playfulness in creation. I mean, all of us have seen an animal running around in wilderness and laughed at it or seen something that God's done that was humorous. We need to look for how God's being playful in our life and how he's trying to put a smile on our face. Next, we explored the extravagant generosity of Jesus. He was generous in every facet of life. But honestly, the most important piece of generosity, and I love, I love how Mark made this the central of his message, was the fact that Jesus gave his life to take our sins on his shoulders. That's generosity in its truest form. To give everything to take our sins so that we could have a relationship, be redeemed, and, and, and grow in Christ. True generosity. Then we took a look at the disruptive honesty of Jesus. That one's tough. Sometimes we don't like disruptive honesty. I don't know about you, but it's not a lot of fun when someone's blatantly obvious with uh, honest with me, and it, and it hurts. Uh, Jesus was very good at pulling out the things in, our, in, in His disciples' life that was going to slow them down, that was going to trip them up. And he was even sometimes pretty just straightforward with it, looking at his disciples saying, "Get behind me, Satan." right? Like that's some tough words to hear from your, from your leader. But he does the same thing in our lives. He calls us out, but not to judge us, but to pull us closer to him. And then finally, last week, we talked about the cunning nature of Jesus. And everything he did, he had to be cunning. His ministry was tough. He was on the run. He was trying to be captured and brought in for questioning. And so he had to be cunning in how he reached people, how he helped people. He was smart in every move he made, and he called his disciples to do the same. We've got to be cunning and creative in how we reach people, obviously. We've got to have fun and be excited about celebrating Jesus so that these kids can understand there is a God who loves them and wants them to have fun at the same time. We've got to be cunning in how we reach out to the people around us. And so there is a lot to unpack here. If you've missed any of the messages, you can simply check them out online. You can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook, you can go to our website, and you can catch up with all all the, the parts of this series if you miss them. But I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to, to wrap this one up today because the topic that we're going to talk about, I think, really pulls the whole picture together. And it's not probably going to be one that you've ever thought of. And honestly, right off the bat, when you hear me bring this topic out, maybe some of you are going to be offended. Um, don't Don't walk away. Don't walk away. Just please listen and hear me out because this one may be tough at first, to swallow, but then you'll hopefully understand the picture of what I'm, I'm speaking to. It's one of the most fascinating attributes because it was given to Jesus due to the fact that he turned everything upside down that needed to be changed. And really, truly, this is only true of Jesus because of the backward nature of people like us. The mark that sin had left on people. The mark that sin had left on this world. Today, I want to talk about this morning that, that Jesus as he walked this earth, was an outlaw. The outlaw who changed everything. Absolutely, Jesus was an outlaw. Right off the bat, you may be thinking, Matt, are you seriously calling the Son of God, Jesus, an outlaw? Yes. Yes, I am. And so should you, and you should be excited that he was an outlaw to the culture that he was in. From our human perspective, from the perspective of the people that walked the earth at the time that Jesus did, they saw Jesus as an outlaw. And that is super exciting. So let's start with the definition of an outlaw because maybe you're like, well, maybe your definition's a little different than mine. Let's make sure we're all on the same page with what an outlaw is. An outlaw is a person who has broken the law, especially one who remains at large or is a fugitive. That is Jesus. He was breaking all the norms. He was breaking the laws of the, the, the religion and the culture. And he was a fugitive. That describes Jesus to a T and his disciples. He was, like I said, breaking all the man-made laws, the, the religious laws, and he was at large during his whole ministry until the religious finally got their hands on him and crucified him. Jesus was an outlaw. And I love taking a look at the life of Jesus and seeing how he turned it upside down. But to talk about this, we need to understand the power struggle that's going on during this time between the Roman government and and the Jewish religious system. You see, Rome knew the power of faith. They knew it had an effect on people, and so they teamed up with Jewish leaders who had some control. They gave them more power, and they were doing it in the name of Rome. It's pretty smart, actually, when you think about it, because we know that faith is important. Obviously, faith is important to you, or you wouldn't be here on Sunday mornings and during the ministries and the outreach. It's an important part of your life. And the government knew that if they had some control over your faith, that then they could keep you in the lines that they wanted to. So we had this kind of blended system of government, religion, and government blended together, and people living under this this reign. Again, fascinating to study. So everything is going decently well in this, this culture and in this time, and then steps in Jesus. Jesus, this man who is doing the impossible. Jesus, this man who is turning water into wine. Jesus, who is healing the lame and the crippled. Jesus, who is making the blind see. And he's doing it in the name of God. And even worse, he's doing it in his name. This is where the tension starts. And then he drives the nail home when he looks at people and he says, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. That your sins are forgiven. You have to understand that Telling someone that their sins are forgiven in the eyes of the religious is absolutely not okay. In fact, it is probably one of the worst things you could do as a teacher during that time period. I don't think there's any other thing that you could say that would make the religious more angry. And we'll talk about why here in just a bit. But everywhere Jesus went, he had his, uh, he, people's eyes were on him. And that sometimes is uncomfortable, and that sometimes is exciting. How many of you have ever walked into a situation and, and you felt like all eyes were on you? Anybody ever been there? Okay, surely we don't have to work the arms out again, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we've all, we've all had that time where it feels like eyes are on us. Sadly, sometimes that happens in the church world. I've heard so many stories where people walk into a church and they feel, you know, like they're not accepted. They feel like people are staring them down and not friendly. And that's heartbreaking because that should never happen. This should be a place where you feel invited a place where you feel accepted, that every person that walks through this door gets a hello and and how are you doing and and gets to be able to make a relationship with someone else. It's why at Journey Church, we really want to make it easy for people to come, to be a part of this family, to enjoy and to feel connected. And if you don't feel connected, then you need to come and talk to us because we want to figure out how we can make you feel connected because you are a vital part of God's kingdom. Hands down, Jesus loves you right where you're at. But it is hard to walk into a place and then feel like you didn't get the memo. The classic scenario, I, I want to know if this has happened to anybody. Anybody ever been invited to like a party or a get-together and someone told you as a joke that it was like a costume party and it wasn't? Anybody ever actually have that happen? Oh, yes. Okay, we need to talk. That, that was terrible, right? It had to be terrible. Could have not been fun. That's a mean joke. That is a mean joke. But I, I, do, see the, I do see the slight humor in it, right? But it has, it has to be awkward walking into a search situation and you know everybody has their eyes on you. I know it's happened to me at weddings and whatnot. I kind of like miss the memo of how to dress. And you, got, you guys know me. Like this is, this is what I'm comfortable in. This is how I feel the best and at ease. So I miss the memo on the wedding and I walk in with my t-shirt on and my jeans and everybody else has got suits on. Talk about awkward, right? all the eyes turn around. You're, you're late too, by the way, right? And you, you, they're just like, who is this guy? Who who Like judging you, you know, like that stare of judgment. It is a walk of shame. It's not a whole lot of fun. This is not a good feeling, but this can happen anywhere, at any time, at any place, and sometimes it's exciting. We'll, we'll talk about why, and, and then sometimes it's not. I remember trying to plan a special date night for Valerie and we man that's hard like as a guy you're trying to do something special and exciting and sometimes it flops and sometimes it goes well and so uh, I was at UNC Charlotte and, and dating for Valerie and I was starting to get serious and so I wanted this night to be really perfect and so I had a great idea that it would be fun to go to a symphony and to a fancy restaurant now I know nothing about either honestly But I thought it would be a good idea. Valerie was in band her whole high school career, so she was really into that. And, you know, I I like all kinds of music, and I'll sit through whatever. So I was good with it. And so we we had this date night planned out, and she was excited, and I was excited. And and so I knew at least that I needed to dress up. So I pull out, like, the one suit that I own, right, the one that's just, like, barely fits right, and it's kind of awkward, but you got to do it. And you're uncomfortable, like, the ties and the tight, like, collar. I don't know. I just don't like it. And so we're, we're all dressed up. And yeah, on one hand, it's nice to look, you know, nice and, and whatnot, but I'm uncomfortable. And so we're we're going to this restaurant. We can't find it, which is quite embarrassing because, you know, I want the night to go to go perfect. And Valerie's in high heels. So I know that walking all over downtown Charlotte's not the most fun. And she's in like this full-on, elegant dress, and I'm in a suit. So, you know, people are staring at us, like, oh, look at them. And I'm like, I just want to find the restaurant. Finally, we get to the restaurant, and uh, I walk in. And he's like, uh, you must be Mr. Leonard. And I was like, how did he know? No joke. I like looked down at my suit and I was like, do I have like a name tag left on from one of my like business classes where I had to have my name? I don't know. To this day, I don't know how he knew my name. But off the bat, I knew I was in the wrong place. I'm like, if he knows my name, how much is this going to cost me? Right? (laughs) That is an impressive feat to find out someone's name. Now, we had reservations, but how did he know? And this was a crowded restaurant. I don't know. So we walk in. And again, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm Mr. Leonard, and, um, and, and, and so he's like, would you like for me to check your jacket? So now I'm looking down at my jacket, and I'm like, is there something wrong with it? Like, is it not right? Is it dirty? Are you so I'm just out of, my, out of my element, right? Now I'm really looking like a fish out of water, and so I'm like, sure. Like, I don't even know what that means, but sure. So he like has some person come behind me, and they like fluff my jacket, and they take it off me, and they put a little name tag on it and hang it in their closet. I'm like, Guess my jacket's gone, right? Like, I, what, and, and, and like, again, again, the, the thought that's running through my mind is like, wow, this is, this is, this is not my element. I didn't even know places like this existed. So we sit down, and Valerie and I are looking around, and it's just like, this is a whole new world. I, all eyes are on me. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, they checked my jacket, they knew my name. Like, I, I don't know how to interact. But we had a blast. We had so much fun not knowing what to do. Uh, I, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. And yes, it was expensive, but hey, it was a one-time thing, and uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. We get to the symphony, we walk in, and I am, and her and I are like literally, I'm not exaggerating, we are, we are the youngest there by like 30 plus years, at, at, at best. And so now all eyes are on us again. They're like, but it was different, though, it was good this time, because all the older men were like, that is a good young man right there. That is a good young man. He, he is high class. He knows, he knows what he's doing. Lo and behold, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is out of my element. We had so much fun. We did. All eyes were on us the entire evening. Some of it bad, some of it good. Good. But man, it was an exciting time. And I think that feeling of all eyes on you was the exact tension of Jesus' ministry from day one to the day that he was crucified. Some good and some bad, but all eyes were on him and his disciples. People saw him and they either loved him and they wanted more of him or they hated him and they wanted him gone. And the, the reasons were all over the board, but all eyes were on Jesus and he was an outlaw like none other that was going to change the world forever. He walks into the scene of this reign uh, of of the, the Jewish leadership and of Rome, and he turns everything upside down. We get this in Matthew 9, verse 1 through 7. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, That's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, Why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up. Pick up your mat, go home, and the man jumped up and went home. You want to cause some of the religious heads to start to turn around, then you heal a paralyzed man. You tell him to get up and walk, and the man actually do it. Because now they're starting to question okay, so who is this guy? And does he have the power to do this? Because obviously he just did it. Is it some sort of trick? Everyone is looking at Jesus asking, Who is this man? All eyes on Jesus. But you really, really want to be an outlaw. You really want to stir the pot. Then you tell someone in front of the the religious that your sins are forgiven. No one can forgive sins except for God. All the religious are saying, this can't be. Jesus is a man. This is blasphemy. It's not only a problem for what they believe, but it's also a problem for their power. Not only the, the power of the religious, but the power of Rome, since they're working together. You got forgiveness from the temple. You paid money to get forgiveness from the temple. We'll talk about that in just a second. Like, this is a big deal. It's not just this religious, oh, uh, how holy am I kind of concept. This was a power concept as well. It kept people coming back to the temple. It kept money flowing into Rome. There was power in the religious hands by being able to, quote, unquote, forgive people in the name of God. And this man is saying that he can do it. You know what happens when you take someone who's paralyzed and you heal them? People start to follow you, like a lot of people start to follow you. I don't know about you, but I think that would be something I noticed if a man was crippled, and I knew that he was crippled his entire life, and then I saw him jump up and walk at the spoken word of Jesus. People start to follow you, and power lies in the people and where they put their trust. And if they put their trust in Jesus... Well, then you start to see the problem for the reigning authority of the time. And you start to get that stamp of outlaw on Jesus and his disciples. This man is disrupting everything that we had, the system that we thought was good and is working fine. He's disrupting it, and we've got to do something about it. Jesus continues to heal and to teach and to tell people that they're forgiven in his name. And that bounty on his head goes up kind of like an old western movie where you see the posters and the number keeps going up and up and up as the outlaw does more and more and more. The bounty on his head goes up and up and up as Jesus loves, teaches, heals, and forgives people. It is undeniable that what Jesus was doing was extraordinary. But it's also undeniable that he was not disrupting the power at hand. People had to know who Jesus was. It's fascinating because even the religious are starting to wonder, is Jesus who he says he is? Now, they can't come out and say it because they would be disowned from the synagogue and whatnot. So they're, they're starting to have some tension there as well. One of the most famous scenes that we see in Scripture of this is Nicodemus, this high-reigning high authority in, in the Jewish system uh, of religion here. And, and he is fascinated with Jesus. And he wants to talk to them, talk to him, but he knew that he couldn't talk to him during the day. He had to talk to him at night. In secret. Nicodemus, knowing that if he was caught talking to Jesus, even just talking to him, that he could have been kicked out of his power and his position and out of the synagogue, or even worse. Not only him, but many others. John 12, 42 through 43. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. They loved human praise more. In the praise of God, so again we've got this struggle going on of what's happening with people's hearts, but that yet their their comfort in the society that they're living in. One of my favorite stories of Jesus, the outlaw, happened early in his ministry. He does the first miracle at a wedding feast. He turns they run out of wine. His mother comes to him, and tells him they need more wine, so he turns water into wine. Right off the bat, building some tension among the religious. And then the next thing he does is well, let's just check it out because it's it's not not probably looked highly upon of the religious leaders. John 2:13 through 20. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at table exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip From some ropes, and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers' coins. He flipped over uh, the tables. And then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them to get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rise it up. What? They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build the temple. You can rebuild it in just three days. I love this passage. Isn't it awesome? I mean, Jesus took the time, we don't talk about this a lot, by the way, Jesus took the time, he's sitting outside of the temple and he's getting frustrated. I'm sure you can relate. You've probably been somewhere and you see something going on and you feel that tension inside starting to rise. Like that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't be doing that. This is what's going on. He's sitting outside of the temple and he sees his father's house being made into basically a den of thieves, money changers, all sorts of scandal and blasphemy going on. And he makes a whip out of ropes, He he proceeds to go in and use it to drive the cattle, to, to drive the money changers, to take their table and flip it over. And you can just see all the gold and silver coins scattered across the temple floor. This was a scene. I don't know if you've ever been to a farm, but when animals start to run, it's pretty impressive and it's pretty loud. This was a scene Of Jesus going in. This is one of them scenes that you're like, yeah, get him, Jesus. This is the thing that we kind of want Jesus's ministry to all be about. Now, really, we don't, but we we get this taste of like, yes, outlaw, you go get him. You get in there and you you tell him who's boss. And so obviously, obviously, this doesn't put off a very high opinion of him with the religious. They saw him as an outlaw, and that bounty on his head continued to grow. Rome didn't want to deal with him but they knew that he couldn't be allowed to hurt their reign of power, outlaw. Now, even the disciples saw Jesus as the man who broke the rules at times. Even though they knew that he was upright and that he was their leader, they absolutely questioned some of the things that Jesus did. And it really, you can see some of the struggle when you read through Scripture. So I want to read one of my favorite stories, uh, John chapter 4. Verse 1 through 27. It's a long bit of scripture, so hang in there with me. We're going to break it down as we read it. But this is so powerful when it comes to seeing Jesus, the outlaw, reach the speakingly unreachable. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. And so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans, she said to Jesus, "You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink?" Now, to understand this fully, we need to really break it down because this honestly screams outlaw in this time and culture. You've got a lot going on here that would have made any Jewish person look away in disgust and shout, "This is not right!" And this woman's really kind of picking up on the fact that this little conversation that her and Jesus are having is not normal. First off, she's surprised because here's a Jew and he's in Samaria. That doesn't happen. The Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. This was not a normal thing. Honestly, they hated each other. They despised each other. They really kind of just wanted each other dead. The Samaritans were a mix of Jewish and Gentile people who kind of split off from the Jewish people. They had their own temple of worship that was separate from the temple in Jerusalem and this stemmed a lot of problems as well as historical uh, tension that, that just built to a head where they literally despised each other because of their differences. So here, here's Jesus. He's alone in the outskirts of a Samaritan city, which, again, would have not been safe for him to do. And now he's talking to a Samaritan, and he's asking her for water. Outlaw. Well, the next problem the woman realizes right off the bat is that Jesus is a man. And he's asking a woman for water, and they're alone. This was another big no-no. A man during this time and culture should not be alone with a woman. And if he were by happenstance to run across a woman and be alone, he should just bypass her. Never would you talk to her, and surely you would never ask her for water. This isn't a Samaritan thing. This is a cultural thing that's going on. And so Jesus... (laughs) Is breaking the the religious rules here. He's breaking the cultural rules. He's doing all sorts of things wrong in this scenario. So Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, but this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob. Who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But to those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them and giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get the water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Ooh, Talk about disruptive honesty, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't like when people point out my sins in my life and my struggles. And Jesus gets right down to the point with, with very specific description of what's going on in her life. But the beautiful part is that he's not doing this to condemn her or to judge her. He's leading up to show her who he truly is. That he is who he's getting ready to tell her who he is. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim we, where an- our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, this time is coming when, when it will no longer matter whether you worship in the Father, the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. It is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in, in that way, for God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus is painting a picture of what he's about to do for the world. He's telling her that it no longer will matter whether you worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem at the temple or not a temple. It really won't matter. You'll worship God wherever you are at. Again, outlaw to the extreme. How Outlaw beyond outlaw. He's basically saying that the temple is not the end-all be-all anymore. You want to talk about disrupting the power of the religious? Tell them their temple is not effective anymore. Again, this is the same place where money changers are in there. They're selling things. They're collecting a huge wealth off the fact that people have to go to the temple to find forgiveness and to talk to God. And Jesus is about to turn that whole thing upside down. Then the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples came back, and they're shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? <laughs> I, love, I love the fact that the disciples are confused. I love the fact that even them, they are questioning Jesus in this. Like, Jesus Are you sure that you know what you're doing too? Because it doesn't look really good. You're out here in the middle of the day. You're talking to a Samaritan and she's a woman and this is not okay. But just like us so often, they don't have the nerve to speak up. and They don't have the nerve to call them out. And so all of this is going on. You see, the biggest outlaw thing of all is even though this was a Samaritan who was culturally not acceptable for a Jew to speak to, That even though she was a a woman who culturally should have not been speaking to a man, culturally was looked on as less than a man, Jesus looked at her. He looked at her and he tells her this, and, and you've got to catch the importance of this. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. You know, this is literally, One of the first people that he directly comes out and says with those words that I am the Messiah. One of the very first, if not the first time he uses the literal words, I am the Messiah that we see in scripture. I am the savior of the world. I'm the one who's going to turn everything upside down. How beautiful is that? Jesus is an outlaw in the eyes of culture. In reality, Jesus is just being who he is. He's not on earth to appease the ideals of the culture. He was was not there to appease what others thought, thought that he should do. He was there to save the world from their sin. And he chose to share with a Samaritan woman, even though it breaks all the rules. This was not an accident. Because you know what Jesus does? You know what the outlaw does? He seeks us out. He seeks us out right where we're at. Right where you're broken, right when you need him most, he shows up. In your life, do you know that that most Jews—not most, pretty much all Jews—during this time, if they were going to travel from point A to point B, and Samaria was in the center, that they would literally go miles and miles and miles out of their way to not have to go through Samaria. That's how much they hated each other. And this wasn't like driving cars and just a couple extra dollars of gas money. This was like on foot, at best, best on on camel or horseback, right? miles and miles and miles and miles out of the way. You can't tell me that this was an accident. That Jesus goes to Samaria where he should not have been. Where he goes up to a well where there is a woman who shouldn't have been there because it's the middle of the day. And he talks to her. And he tells her that she is loved. That he is the Messiah who is going to change Everything. If you're struggling this morning with whether or not you think that Jesus cares, He cares. And He seeks us out just like He sought out this Samaritan woman. He cares for you right where you are at. You don't have to be good to be loved by Jesus. You're just simply loved by Jesus. You don't have to be good to be loved by Jesus. You're simply loved by Him. You, the outlaw, are loved good company. You're loved just like this Samaritan woman who Jesus went out of his way to talk with her. So yeah, in the eyes of the religious, Jesus was an outlaw. In the eyes of everyday person who knew the cultural standards, Jesus was an outlaw. They loved it because hanging out with him just made him an outlaw and Jesus didn't seem to care. In the eyes of the disciples, at times Jesus was an outlaw. He broke the rules culturally, threw them off guard. He challenged what they believed and they thought they knew. But you know what really made Jesus an outlaw? Amidst all these people, amidst all these circumstances, the thing that put the label on his head was his love for you. Because love breaks the cultural standards. It's not okay to love in the way that you're loving Jesus because it doesn't fit our mold. And those people are unlovable and you're doing the wrong things. But it was Jesus' love for this world that made him the outlaw that he is. You can't hang out with those sinners. You can't spend time with those tax collectors. Yeah, but I love them. I love those people. I know they're broken. I know they're sick, but I love the sick at all times. You can't talk to a Samaritan woman. You can't tell her who you truly are because she's no good. She's no good. She's, she's trash in our eyes. Yeah, but, but I love her because she is a child of mine. And I want her to have a relationship with me. I love those who are hurting and are unreachable and marginalized and brokenhearted. I love them. You can't heal people in the name of God. Yeah, but I have, I have love for those who are hurting. You can't heal on the, the Sabbath. It's a holy day. Yeah, but, but guys, love doesn't stop. 24 7, by the way. And I love them. And the greatest gift of love, you can't look past the people who put you on a cross. Yeah, but Jesus says they simply don't know what they're doing. So I forgive them and I love them as well. If Jesus can love the people who put him on a cross and nailed him there, then he loves you right where you're. love turned the cultural standard upside down and it made him an outlaw an outlaw but you know what you know who he was truly the most outlaw to sin satan the evil one because jesus was on a path that would change everything the people were mad at the earthly power that jesus could rip the from them, they were mad culturally because of the norms that he was disrupting, but to Satan, Jesus was about to render sin powerless, which was going to literally change the course of history. Jesus was about to do something that would change our lives forever, to be the reason that we're still here 2,000 years later talking about his name because of the thing that he was about to do. In the eyes of sin, Jesus was the one who had to be stopped. But newsflash sin, newsflash Satan, Jesus wins. And he was telling people left and right what was about to happen. I love how Jesus pieces this together. He was telling the religious. He was telling the people of the culture. He was telling anyone who was willing to listen his plan. And I don't know how much Satan knew of what his plan was, but we see this right after with the, the whip at the temple. Jesus says, all right destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What they exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days. Jesus was speaking to what he was getting ready to do. The fact that they, the religious, the ones who had everything against them, the one who treated him as an outlaw who put a bounty on his head, eventually brought him in and, and, and convicted of things he never did, then strung him up on a cross and crucified him. They were doing what he said was going to happen. That Jesus would go to the cross and three days later he would rise again and make true all that he promised to the Samaritan woman. That no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, that you can have a relationship with God and that you don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to go anywhere to talk to Jesus. That you can speak to him right where you're at at any time, at any place. True love throwing out the old ways for a new it's mind blowing to know that a broken human like me can have a relationship with the creator of all things and that's you that's you so do you embrace who Jesus is because it's easy to put cultural standards on love and on Jesus But Jesus was true to who he was, and Jesus didn't come to conform to the culture, he came to change it. So let Jesus change you. Let Jesus change your heart and your life because he loves you so much. Love, love is the true characteristic that ties it all together. So maybe you're an (laughs) outlaw and maybe you're broken. Jesus finds you right where you're at. So as we close this morning and as we pray, if that's you, if you if you are far from Christ or if you are struggling, I want you to know that Jesus just like the Samaritan woman. He'll seek you out. And maybe this morning is that morning where he's calling you to a relationship with him. And all he asks in return is that you believe that he is who he says he is. To do the thing that the Pharisees would never do. To accept that he's the son of God. And to give your heart to him. To give your life. God, I'm broken, I'm a sinner, but I believe that you are who you say you are. I'm an outlaw, but now I know I'm loved by you. <laughs> what amazing picture and model of the love of Christ. And if you have a relationship with Christ, then maybe today's the day to start to see the world from a different lens, the lens that Jesus saw it. We're not here to judge, we're not here to label, we're not here to call others unacceptable or outlaws we're here to love them to tell them the truth to have disruptive honesty to to show the freedom of jesus and his creativity and the humor behind it his cunningness and everything in between jesus stands for himself we share the characteristics of jesus we share his love and he does the rest so who do you need to share jesus with today let's pray father we thank you so much for this morning We thank you so much for the fact that you love us in a way that is mind-blowingly hard to wrap our minds around. It is amazing that you've sought that Samaritan woman out against all cultural standards, against all uh, religious standards of the day, because of your love for her. And that if there's someone here who feels outcast, who feels like they aren't accepted in the people that they're around to know that the King of Kings the Lord of Lords accepts them right where they're at. Father just pray that you'll shift their hearts to you that you'll give them peace and comfort and, and know that you are who you say you are and that in your eyes they are so valuable. So Father we just we just ask for heart change, life change. We just pray over, over each individual here and where they're at that they would open their hearts to you. We'd see the world the way that you saw it, not as outcast, but as, but as accepted. Accepted by the one who truly matters. So we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.